broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to We've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. All right. Hello, Las Vegas. How are you doing? If you are here in the city, I hope you joined us last night for the launch of our annual missions conference. We had a great uh, time of fellowship, but the fun has just begun tonight. Yes, tonight the fun will continue. My favorite night of the year happening at Liberty Baptist Church tonight. It's the second night of our missions conference, 7 o'clock. Don't miss it. 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard is our address. And then, of course, Saturday morning, we will have our international brunch at 10 a.m. All right. So, uh, fun fact for you. Um, we are having some technological difficulties in the studio today. Actually, there we had some technological difficulties last night as well, and they have carried over in today. In in today? Yes, that's what I just said. It should have been into today. They've carried over into today, and as such, I I find myself this morning with a frittle show to do and no internet access. Right? So I do my <laughs> I do my show notes in 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 my Gmail account because it's just super simple. I can just make a draft, do some bullet points, and go from there. Um, sometimes I do a little bit more extensive than that. I put all of my links to different articles that I want to reference in there. Well, um, yeah, so all I have, fortunately, bless God, is my unlimited data plan on my phone, which is which is fantastic because if I didn't have that... I really don't know what we would talk about for the next hour because I would have no access to anything. So bear with me today. It's going to be probably a little more choppy than usual. I know it's not that, you know, fantastic the rest of the time anyway, but today's show might be a little bit more rough because unlike where if you're on Google or Internet Explorer or Firefox, whatever's your browser, and you can have like multiple tabs and switch back and forth and multitask while you're on the radio, my phone will let me see one thing at a time. So while my brain wants to run in five different directions so that I know where I'm going and what we're going to be talking about, I literally am am limited to one thing at a time. So we, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. I apologize in advance. If it is if it is not up to par today, although I don't know why we say up to par, you don't want to be up to par. You want to be below par. Below par means you're really good. Up to par, okay. Golf clap, good job. No, you want to be below par. You don't win by being at par. You win by anyway. Okay, moving on. <clears throat> Earlier this week, just a couple nights ago, on Tuesday evening, the United States via Ambassador Nikki Haley, who is just amazing, and would you please run for president, please? Um, She announced that the United States was officially withdrawing from the United Nations uh, Human Rights Council. When she did so, she absolutely blasted the UN Human Rights Council, uh, specifically regarding their incredible bias against Israel. She said, quote, human rights accusers continue to serve and be elected to the council. The worst, most inhuman regimes continue to escape scrutiny and the council continues the politicizing and someone is calling me on my phone. This is not a good time to call me when I am reading a quote from my phone. I have no other. Okay. I'm sorry, person on the phone. You've been declined. 
Uh, the council continues the politicizing and scapegoating of countries with positive human rights records in an attempt to distract from the abusers and their ranks. She said, therefore, as we said we would do a year ago if we did not see any progress, the United States is officially withdrawing from the U.N. Human Rights Council. In doing so, I want to make it crystal clear that this step is not a retreat from human rights commitments. On the contrary, we take this step because our commitment does not allow us to remain a part of a hypocritical and self-serving organization that makes a mockery of human rights. She said, for our part, the United States will not sit quietly while this body, supposedly dedicated to human rights, continues to damage the cause of human rights. In the end, no speech and no structural reforms will save the members of the Human Rights Council from themselves. Uh, and then, um, and, and she went on, but essentially, she, she was, she, she held nothing back as she always does or doesn't do. She never holds anything back. Um, and the U.S. has withdrawn from the U.N. Human Rights Council. Now, this is not a move, as she said. This isn't like the United States is like, okay, we don't care about human rights anymore. Goodbye. We didn't withdraw completely from the U.N., which, you know, could be a next step, potentially a good one, but that's another conversation for another time. We didn't say that having a human rights council was a bad idea. We simply said, hey, look, um, you don't operate as a human rights council. You don't help people that need help, so we're not going to be part of this farce anymore. We're going to just go help people on our own, and we're not going to take part in what you guys are doing. This isn't something that didn't have a warning on it either. So when the when Haley stood up and said, as we said we would do a year ago, she's basically saying, hey, when we said it, we meant it. And she did. Uh, last June, she had an article in the Washington Post. She uh, she let the U.N. She basically she put the U.N. on notice and was like, hey, look, uh, you guys are messed up. And if you don't get your act together, then we're out of here. So, you know, I want to read to you her article from last year because I think it helps give some perspective. And everyone that is out there in the media saying, oh, my goodness, this is a where did this come from? Why has this happened? This is a terrible, terrible move. No, it's not. It's not a terrible move at all. In fact, under the uh, George W. Bush administration, the United States refused to be part of the U.N. Human Rights Council because of its gross bias. It was only in, I believe, 2009, under then-President Barack Obama, that the United States joined the UN Human Rights Council under this false hope that we might be able to somehow reform it from within. And yes, it is true, there were fewer uh, proclamations, or whatever they call them, uh, against Israel during during that time frame after we uh, joined with um, under the Obama administration. But even at that point, I believe it was, it's either 46 or 47%. I have an article link and uh, I can't click on it because I don't know if you know this, but on an iPhone in a draft in your mailbox, you can't actually click the link. You have to copy it and paste it and it's just... So much work. <laughs> it's so much easier when you actually have internet on a computer to do this. We, so many things we take for granted. I'm realizing yesterday and today that we take so much for granted when it comes to technology. But anyway, so uh, Haley said last year, she said um, in this article in the Washington Post, she talks about how the president of Venezuela whose government shoots protesters in the street, recently thanked the international community for its universal vote of confidence in that country's commitment to human rights, a.k.a. the U.N. was like, hey, you guys are doing a great job. No, they're doing a terrible job. The Cuban deputy foreign minister, whose government imprisons thousands of political opponents and has a gross record of atrocities, um said that Cuba has historic prestige in the promotion and protection of all human rights. And 
these countries that are shooting their own citizens in the street, that are imprisoning their political opponents, that are starving their own people, have been elected to the UN Human Rights Council. Who you know, the, And by the way, the UN Human Rights Council, on paper, their purpose is to, quote, uphold the highest standards of U.S. human rights. In fact, for those wanting to blame Haley for this move, a U.S. Senate subcommittee actually met early last spring to talk about whether the U.S. should withdraw. And decided that they would give them one more chance. And they failed. So, this isn't something that just came out of the blue. This is something that uh, Ambassador Haley has been working on for over a year. And it... It's, it's a good thing. It really is a good thing. Even though it's being portrayed and presented by many on the left as just another example of how uh, Trump hates the international community and how he is hostile to everyone around the world, that is not true. Instead, the United States is the only nation seemingly willing to work to try to get the UN Human Rights Council to actually do what it's supposed to do and promote the protection of human rights and fundamental freedoms. Again and again, Haley and those who have come alongside her, for example, um, the Swiss, have tried to help steer the UN Human Rights Council back to an actual Human Rights Council and to eliminate the extensive anti-Israel bias to improve the quality of members, a.k.a. maybe we shouldn't have countries sitting on the Human Rights Council who are shooting their citizens in the street. Like, that just seems like a conflict of interest. By the end of last month, this year, the UN Human Rights Council, or, I'm sorry, no, by the end of last month, the UN Human Rights Council had adopted 80 condemnatory resolutions against Israel out of 169 overall against countries deemed human rights abusers. 47% total against Israel. Which, by the way, let us remember that Israel is the only nation in the Middle East where you have freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of religion, and so on and so on. The only country in the middle in, in that area of the Middle East where you can actually be free <laughs> as forty seven percent of UN human rights quote unquote violations. That Israel is the focus of the UN Human Rights Council is absurd, considering that they spend exponent ex ex exponentially I can picture it in my brain but it doesn't want to come out of my mouth but they spend so much more time focused on Israel where there is actual freedom and human rights than they do on say North Korea or on Syria or on Saudi Arabia on places where women are legitimately oppressed in fact Israel Israel is the only country in the world that has its own separate human rights item. It's called Agenda Item 7. Quote, human rights situation in Palestine and other occupied Arab territories. I'm sorry. Occupied Arab territories. Let us observe a map for just a moment, even if it's just in your head. Look at every nation around Israel. They are all Arab. You can go to any one of them and practice Islam, live an Arab lifestyle. Israel has a tiny little sliver and we have an entire human rights item for dealing with them. That is the item under which Israel 
is subjected. In addition to the item under which every other country is examined, called Item 4, which is titled Human Rights Situations That Require the Council's Attention. So think about that. Every other country in the world is looked at as, oh, here's an issue that requires our attention. Israel gets its own category. It's the only nation in the world that gets its own category. Why is that? Why does Israel get its own category, but the Human Rights Council has not condemned human rights violations in countries like China, Cuba, Russia, Saudi Arabia, and Zimbabwe, despite their absolutely atrocious records on religious persecution, punishment of political dissent, hostility to freedom of the press, unequal rights for women, and the use of force against civil society and government opponents? But what has happened is that because we have these strong nations that are sitting on the Human Rights Council, that are violating human rights and should never be a part of the Council, most governments either seemingly prefer a weak, ineffective, and completely unnecessary, quote, Human Rights Council, unquote, because they have nothing whatsoever to do with human rights on the world stage, actual human rights where actual problems are happening, I'm not saying that there's not problems in Israel and Palestine, but there's so much more elsewhere that is being completely ignored. So governments either prefer that it just stay weak and ineffective, or they're simply unwilling to make any effort to attempt to reform it. Now, to its credit, the Obama administration... Like I said, we we were not a member of this council until 2009 (coughs) under Obama. And uh, we thought, hey, we'll go in here, we'll fix it, and then it'll be better. It didn't work. In 2011, the Obama administration brought forward proposed reforms, and they were completely rejected. Because, again, we have countries sitting on the UN Human Rights Council that are in complete violation of actual human rights. (sighs) And by the way, lest anyone tell you today, again, that this is just another demonstration of how hostile Americans, and particularly Americans in red states and Trump supporters or Trump himself, how hostile we are to every other nation in the world and we don't understand what's happening and we just bury our head in the stand. Okay, well, no. Actually, the United States allocated four times as much assistance to issues involving the rule of law and human rights in the 2016 fiscal year than any other nation. Four times as much assistance. So, if you want to be upset about something in this situation, you should not be condemning the United States for leaving the UN Human Rights Council, after multiple repeated attempts to fix their many flaws. No, instead, you should be, if you want something to be upset about in this situation, upset with the fact that the UN Human Rights Council does not operate as a Human Rights Council. All right, so when we return, the big news of the week has been, of course, the separating of families at the border. Children being ripped from their parents, sometimes, sometimes not. What has been happening? What's going on? What are we going to do about it? We are going to answer those questions when we return in just a few moments. You're listening to KVXL 11.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio from Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Okay, so last night, President Trump signed an executive order to allow uh, children to stay with parents that are crossing the border illegally. The move would stop the family separations that have triggered a national outcry in the past week or so and allow children to stay in detention centers with their parents uh, for an extended period 
of time. Now, previously, President Trump had stated that this wasn't something that could be fixed by executive order, that it was something that Congress needs to fix. That is still true. However, because Congress moves at the snail's pace that Congress does in most cases, the president decided to take action to do an executive order. However, he is saying that uh, his executive order is going to be matched by legislation. So essentially, Congress still working on legislation. The legislation would then take the place, if you will, of the executive order and be more uh, more in-depth. It would solve the problem long-term rather than an executive order, which can be changed and altered and so on and so forth. Um, however, because the executive order is um, opposite to a 1997 order, it could draw a lawsuit what will be interesting to see is if it is Democrats that bring the lawsuit to stop the executive order, which is solving the problem that everyone has agreed we have. So, uh, But again, that is why there needs to be actual legislation. So the president was right when he said we need Congress to fix this. We do need Congress to fix this because he can write the executive order, but most likely there will be... Uh, there will be a lawsuit brought against this because it is in violation of previous law and then it could be overturned. So it's it's all a big mess. What is actually going on? What can we do? What is the legislation that is drafting needed to be said? Isn't there already proposals? I'm sorry. I need, I have to sneeze. One second. Okay, hopefully that takes care of it. So what what is going on? I'm sure you've seen the pictures of children apparently uh, seemingly to be held in cages and you've seen the interviews, you've seen the videos. Um So some let's let's talk about some actual facts here this morning about this. It is a tragic situation when you have children being separated from their parents. There's no one I think with a heart that can deny that. Um, factually, this has been going on under previous administrations. This isn't something that just began uh, under President Trump. That said, the president has more strictly enforced a zero tolerance policy, which has led to uh, an increase in situations like this. Additionally, because the media uh, hates the president, and the president is actually doing a pretty good job when it comes to handling policy and uh, and working with our country. Um, my personal opinion is they had to find something. Okay, most of the images that were shared at the beginning of this explosive uh, new development were images from the Obama administration. This was happening during the president, the previous president's. Uh, 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 terms in office and it was not addressed by the media at that time. Now, I'm not saying that it should have been happening then or that it should be happening now. I'm simply saying it is interesting at least to note that though this has been happening, it is only now something that the media feels we need to be outraged about. Um, When we should have been outraged about it, under the Obama administration as well. Does that make sense? So now that said, I understand that what is happening is not is not cool. But there is a lot of misinformation going on about this issue from both sides as often happens, and you have to weed through everything to try and get to the facts of the matter. So I I've done a lot of research on this this past week because you know, it's it's heartbreaking when you see these pictures, when you hear these stories, your your compassionate side is just if you have to not have a heart to think that this is in any way a good thing. But at the same time, if you understand that we are a nation of laws and that laws have to be enforced for them to actually be laws and the ramifications of just allowing anyone anytime willy nilly with kids, without kids, there's 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 much to consider in a situation like this, as much as we would like it to be cut and dry, if you come here with kids, you just don't separate from your kids. It's not that simple, sadly. So let's let's dive into this just a little bit, all right? Um, and again, you have to bear with me because I don't have internet, so I'm, I'm 
just using my phone for for research and stuff today, and it's a little bit uh, more cumbersome. But the chief border patrol agent in San Diego, his name is Rodney Scott. He gave an interview, which was broadcast, but not broadcast a lot, because if you actually listen to the interview, you hear some things that are not being presented, if you will, by much of the mainstream media. One of the nuggets from his interview is he said, quote, if there's any suspicion that they're not really truly related to those people, meaning the children that are coming with the adults, then they will be separated for their own safety. Get that now. If there's any suspicion that they're not really truly related to those people, they will be separated for their own safety. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, but let's back up first for just a minute, okay? We have a problem with our southern border, as well as with our northern border, but that's another matter for another time. Um, But we've had a problem with our southern border literally for decades. However, if you are over, say, the age of 40, 50, For most of your lifetime and for your parents' lifetime and your grandparents' lifetime, the issue at the border was not that we had families attempting to cross or that we had adults crossing with children. No, the issue at the border was by far the majority, vast majority of individuals attempting to illegally cross our border were adult Mexican males entering illegally. That's just a factual uh, statistic. You can go and look at it. But in the last several decades, in the last decade specifically, we have seen what could be termed an absolute explosion of attempts at illegal entry via our southern border. Now, why is that happening? Why in the last decade do we see uh, just this plethora of families, this, this complete demographic shift, if you will, of vast majority of illegal attempts being Uh, adult males to now the majority of illegal attempts being uh, families and or adults with children. Why is that happening? We could say that things are getting worse in countries around the world, so more people are coming here uh, seeking asylum, which is possible, but not necessarily backed up by fact when compared with the history of these countries. So it's not that many of these countries are any more violent than they were 30, 40, 50 plus years ago. That's not necessarily true. In some instances it may be, but not necessarily across the board. More likely is the fact that when the Obama administration put in place the catch and release policy, that that policy encouraged a lawlessness which has led to the past decade's explosion in the demographic shift of illegal entries that we are seeing. So with that policy, essentially, those seeking to come to the United States were often told that if they brought a child or if they brought children with them, that that child or those children were their golden ticket into the United States. Basically, bring the child free pass. So whether you believe that the state of of these these countries where these individuals are coming from is far worse than ever before, and so that is driving them uh, north, or you believe that the catch-and-release policy is responsible, either way, whichever side of that discussion you fall on, we all agree that we have a vast increase in attempts at illegal entry and a major demographic shift from simply adult males to teens, children, infants, moms, single moms, and so on. The problem comes in the fact that the law has not changed. The laws related to the process at our border are the same today as they were two decades ago. The problem is that we've had a demographic shift. And the demographic shift we have not accounted for with our previous law. So uh, I'm going to quote Rich Lowry at National Review. He wrote, The Trump administration isn't changing the rules that pertain to separating an adult from the child. Those remain the same. Separation happens only if officials find that the adult is falsely claiming to be the child's parent or is a threat to the child or is put into criminal proceedings. Okay, so get that. The law didn't change 
when Trump became president, nor when he decided he was going to crack down on, and, and, and on enforcement or whatever, whatever you've heard. The law did not change. It is the same law. If, if, if the separation only happens if the adult is found to be falsely claiming to be the child's parent, is a threat to the child, or is put into criminal proceedings. That last phrase is the key, though. All right. The, previously, the practice had been to give a free pass to an adult who was part of a family unit. So if an adult came uh, with a child and was not a threat to the child and was, in fact, the child's parent uh, or adult relative, that adult then got a free pass and they were not put into the criminal proceeding process. You know, um, my brain sometimes cannot get the right words. Uh, But so under the Trump administration, the Trump administration said, no, that is not the law. The law says if you are an adult that comes to our country, whether illegally, whether or not you have a child with you, if you come with a child or whether or not you have a child with you, you will be uh, you, you will be subjected to the law of the land. If you have a child with you, that law is you will be separated if you are found uh, to be falsely claiming to be the parent if you are found to be a threat to the child or if you are put into a criminal proceeding and since you came illegally you will be put into a criminal proceeding because that is the law does that make sense so essentially the idea is the president and this administration are attempting to send a signal that they're actually serious about the laws that they have and create a deterrent against re-entry okay so what the trump administration said is look we're letting these people come in violation of the law that we already have, and basically handing you a free pass into the country if you have a child with you that we deem uh, is your relative. Instead of putting you through the process for illegal entry and for criminal proceedings, you just you just go ahead through. And under the Trump administration, they said, no, the law is, if you come with a child, that in... You're, you will be put into criminal proceedings, and for that to happen, you will be separated from the child. They are doing this to attempt to deter illegal reentry attempts because illegal entry is a misdemeanor. Illegal reentry is a felony. And then you just have a, a far worse situation on your hands, especially if they come back with children a second time. So when a migrant is processed for illegal entry, he or she is taken into custody by U.S. Marshals, all right? In no circumstance anywhere in the United States do marshals care for children of people they take into custody. That does not happen. ICE is not caring for children. What happens when a migrant comes and is prosecuted for illegal entry and brings a child with them is that the child is taken into the custody of HHS, Health and Human Services, who cares for them at temporary shelters. It is no longer... Immigration officials. If a child comes here illegally, it is not ICE, nor is it marshals that are caring for that child. It's Health and Human Services. All right, so the criminal proceedings for the adult that comes uh, have been and are exceptionally short, assuming there is no aggravating factor such as a prior illegal entry, because remember, I just said that, that ups you from a misdemeanor to a felony. Or if there's another crime that we know about that you have committed. Now, up until the recent past, last decade or so, the migrants would generally plead guilty. They were then sentenced to time served, which was typically the same day was their time served. Uh, And after that, they were returned to the custody of ICE uh, if the adult wants to go home at that point in keeping with the expedited order of removal. uh, It's simple. The adult is reunited with his or her child or children, and the family is returned home as a unit. In that scenario, there's only a very brief separation of adult from child. If they say, yes, I entered illegally, yes, I'm willing to go home, okay, we give you, you are reunited with your child and you are sent home, often in a process that takes less than 48 hours. So why all the hoopla? Well, the problem comes when the migrant does not plead guilty but instead requests asylum. That's where it gets dicey. An adult seeking asylum will almost always be held longer because it's more complicated. 
And when the adult is held longer, that time frame historically has been more extensive than what HHS is permitted for keeping a child or their children in custody. So HHS is permitted to keep the child in custody for 20 days. Once those 20 days are up, ICE and HHS are faced with the decision of releasing the adults and the child or their children into the United States together, most likely never to be seen again, or of holding the adults and placing the child or their children in a foster home if you will, uh, and that it, it's not it's not actually a foster home, but that's the the closest example I could get to. Um, and most often, that home is with a family member who's already in the United States. So that's where the separation happens. All right. So if you come illegally into the country, you are caught. Criminal proceedings will be brought against you. You will be separated. This is what it has been. Now, the, the, the executive order is, is changing this, but I'm, I'm explaining to you what has been and what has caused all this issue. Okay, So you're, you're caught. Criminal proceedings are brought against you. You are separated from your child because ICE, uh, ICE and, um, and um, the, the marshals do not have never cared for children. So the children are given to HHS while you are being put through the criminal proceeding. It is generally less than 48 hours. If you plead guilty, you are reunited with your child and you are sent home. It's where you say, no, you know what? I'm not guilty. I want asylum. Well, now we have an extended process. This is where the problem has come because HHS, again, can only keep these kids for 20 days. At the end of 20 days, they have to either let them go with the parents into the country or separate them for as long as it may take for that asylum process to go through and give the children to most likely a relative who's already in the U.S. Now, before you go too far into the cruelty aspect of this, allow me to point out two items on this. First, we have the issue of smuggling and child trafficking. Okay. The National Human Trafficking Hotline shows that most reports of human trafficking are from the border states of California and Texas. We have far, far too many documented cases of human trafficking happening on the U.S.-Mexico border, and those cases are continuing to rise. Why? Because children and young women are being kidnapped or lured to the border area with promises of a better life, but then they find themselves locked away in an underground world of sexual slavery and prostitution. They are being smuggled like cattle, kidnapped and abused, and it's it's just unspeakable, the evils that happen to many of these individuals. In other instances... Children are being given as payment to smugglers who then sell them into trafficking after getting them across the border, or they use them as quote-unquote family to ensure their other paying customers are able to cross the border successfully, only to turn around and sell them or abandon them once they're out of HHS custody. Still, other trafficking groups pose as relatives and homes for these children. So they're, they're, so these kids are sitting in HHS. There are people posing as relatives or homes that are getting these kids only to later be discovered as a funnel point for a child trafficking or prostitution ring. It's absolutely tragic. And on top of all of that, you have the drug cartels, several of whom promise safety and protection to these migrants only to steal their money in the name of protection and offer them transportation or smuggling into the United States, which they provide, but unbeknownst to the family at a cost of being trafficked upon arrival in the country. And oh, by the way, these cartels, if they don't think your kid's going to cut it in the sex trafficking industry, they might just send the rest of you, and keep a couple of your kids to fight as child soldiers in their drug war. That's an inconvenient truth, but it is reality, a very, very tragic, sad reality. So when illegal immigrants are captured with children on our southern border, our ICE agents have the very unpleasant task of attempting to determine if that child or those children are in fact relatives of the adult or adults that are with them, or if they are being used as a pawn, or if they are in danger of being trafficked, and so on and so forth. And yes, it's true, there are families coming, and this isn't always the case, But if even one child is saved from a life as a sex slave as a result of this policy, 
Does that help you understand what our law enforcement are facing and what they're doing on the border? And how, though this policy of, of separation seems cruel, it is in fact a literal lifesaver for hundreds, if not thousands, of children? Now, there's that aspect of it. There's a human trafficking aspect of this. But there's another side to it as well. Before you think that this whole entire process is just cruel and unusual, if the, if the mentions of the, of the trafficking potential didn't do it for you, let me explain to you a very, very seldom spoken truth. And I do not understand why we do not talk about this more. And that is the issue of asylum. Because it's the request for asylum that has been separating many of these families. But not all of them. Stick with me here. This is important. All right. The vast majority of illegal crossings happening at our southern border now are not Mexicans. Remember I talked about that demographic shift or earlier today. The vast majority of illegal crossings are coming from Hondurans, Guatemalans, or those from El Salvador. They get here. They're no longer, for the most part, pleading guilty. And this is why we're having this influx of separation happening. Because they're claiming they want asylum. Now, if you are fleeing your country because your life is in danger or your family or your children are in danger, if you feel unsafe, you seek asylum in the first safe country you come to. Now, if you're coming from Honduras or Guatemala or El Salvador, that first safe country you come to could potentially be Mexico. It could be Belize. It could be another neighboring country. If you're truly seeking asylum, there could be a country closer to you that may be safer for your family, right? It may be safer for your family to go to Belize and seek asylum than to risk the journey up through Mexico to the United States. Now, for some, that's that's not the case. For some, the only chance for safety is the United States. But now get this, you need to hear this. If a family is seeking asylum in this country and comes to an actual entry point, if they come to a port of entry in this country, if they're not trying to sneak in illegally, if they go to an entry point and state they are seeking asylum, they are not detained. They are allowed into the country. They are not separated from their children. Again, get this. Don't miss this. To me, this is the most important bit of information that is not being discussed. If families show up at port of entry to the United States and say they are seeking asylum, it is presumed that their case is legitimate and they are allowed entry into the country. Essentially, the catch-and-release policy that the Obama administration had for basically everyone is what is in place for these families that actually come to a port of entry and say, we are seeking asylum. If you do that, your kids don't get separated. It is presumed at that point that you are legitimately seeking asylum, and in these instances, it's, it's, this is a somewhat simplified explanation But if you come to the port of entry, claim asylum, you are allowed entry into the country and you are scheduled for a civil hearing about your asylum case to determine its validity. Again, very similar essentially to the catch and release policy that happened uh, in the previous administration for all uh, uh, illegal immigrants that are attempting to cross illegally and those seeking asylum by coming to a port of entry. But I I don't understand why this is not something that is being discussed. Because this is an entirely different story. If you come to a port of entry requesting asylum, if you if essentially if you come legally, this this isn't a problem. We are not not wanting to give people asylum. That is not what is happening. Families are not being ripped apart if they are legitimately seeking asylum. All they have to do is go to a port of entry and say, we are seeking asylum, and essentially catch and release applies to them in that instance, regardless of the Trump executive order. (sighs) But what is happening is we have these families that are crossing illegally, and the Trump administration has said, you know what, we're not doing the free pass anymore, we're going to enforce our laws, you will be prosecuted in a criminal proceeding 
because that is what the law is. Now, the executive order changes this somewhat. So, let, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the, the possible solutions, all right? So, the executive order uh, essentially says we are going to house families with their children, again, pres- as long as there is an, as they are an actual relative and the child is not endangered by being with them. Um, so there will still be child separation because many of these children are not family members or are in danger. The children are still going to be separated. It is for their own safety in many of these cases. But legitimate family members, the, the executive order says they will be housed together. Their cases will be expedited. So if they come illegally, say, oh, but we were looking for asylum, their case will be expedited and they can stay together. That's essentially what the executive order does. But as I mentioned earlier, because the executive order is in violation of actual law, a lawsuit will likely be brought against the executive order. And that is why legislation has to be passed to actually deal with this issue in the long term. So, essentially, every D.C. Democrat has signed on as a co-sponsor to the Keep Families Together Act. Now, it sounds lovely. It has a great title. But it's not lovely. It was, it was so hastily written and so poorly researched that the Democrats proposed legislation, right, the Keep Family Together's Act, uh, that would supposedly prohibit so-called border separations would actually prevent federal law enforcement agencies almost anywhere inside the United States from arresting and detaining criminals who are parents but have absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with unlawfully crossing the border or seeking asylum. So, for example, Gabriel Malore at The Federalist pointed out that, quote, the ridiculous consequences of passing the Democrats' hastily written mess are easily demonstrated. Let's say FBI agents hear about a drug drug trafficker and murderer in Buffalo, New York. The agents get a warrant to raid the drug trafficker's house and arrest him. While they do so, they discover the drug trafficker's minor daughter is home with him. Feinstein's bill would prohibit the FBI agents, while arresting a drug trafficker, from separating this child from her father. This is not a far-fetched hypothetical. FBI agents are agents of the DOJ, a designated agency, according to Feinstein's bill, and Buffalo is within 100 miles of the border. So long as the daughter is either a U.S. citizen or an alien without permanent status, the FBI agents would be unable to proceed with normal law enforcement activities. The agents would be forced to choose between booking the drug-trafficking murderer into jail with his daughter or not booking him into jail at all, unquote. That is the potential result of the Keep Families Together Act. And I don't know about you, but to me, that doesn't seem like anything I would want to be part of or anything that our country should even be considering. And it's a great article from Malore over at The Federalist about the issues in that bill and how it isn't restricted to immigration issues but would apply to everyone living within a 100-mile radius of the border, which, by the way, is over 200 million Americans or two-thirds of our population. And if you want to understand more about the Keep Families Together Act, I'd very much encourage you. Uh, I, I don't know what the title of it is because, again, I'm just using my phone and I'm limited But uh, uh, because I had this written down as a note and I just have a, a shortened link that doesn't give me the title of the article. But it's Gabriel Malore wrote it. It's at the Federalist. Just Google Federalist uh, uh, Keep Families Together Act and you can read about that there. Excellent, excellent article. The best I have seen it explained. So... The Democrats' border separation bill, in essence, it lets nearly all parents who commit federal crimes get off scot-free. So that bill is not a good one. Alternatively, a great bill, I think, or at least a great start, is Ted Cruz's proposal from earlier this week. And essentially, the president's executive order is Ted Cruz's bill that he was trying to get through, but Democrats essentially said, no, we would rather have the president suffer for this than do something to help these children. And that's why Trump had to take this into his own hands. The reason this whole thing is delayed is because we are trying to get comprehensive immigration reform all done and deal with this issue at the same time. Cruz's proposal earlier this week was emergency legislation to solve the problem at hand, and that is, of course, the problem of parents being separated from their children at the border. It didn't address the wall. It didn't address border funding or pass the citizenship or anything at all that was controversial. It was not in any way a comprehensive solution. It narrowed in on and solved the very real, immediate issue of parents being separated from their children. It didn't solve the entire border crisis, but it did take the emotional aspect of the immigration debate off of the table 
and I believe would have made it easier and clearer to deal with other issues in the future. So the Cruz legislation uh, would have doubled the number of federal immigration judges from 375 to uh, 750. It authorized new temporary shelters to keep families together. It mandated that uh, illegal immigrant families must be kept together absent aggravated criminal conduct or threat of harm to the children. And it provided for expedited processing and review of asylum cases so that within 14 days, those who met legal standards would be granted asylum and those who did not would be returned to their home countries. Democrats said no to that bill, which did absolutely nothing about anything as far as dreamers or about the wall or about uh, uh, past to citizenship. It did zero things controversial. The only thing it did was solve the issue of children being separated from their parents at the border, which is what everyone has been screaming about all week long. Cruz had a bill that would fix that issue. And Democrats literally said, no. This, this, I, this is where politics is just so out of control. I don't understand it. I, I, if people are really concerned about these kids and the potential of them being separated from their families more than they care about their reelection or their politics and comprehensive immigration reform, whatever that means, that bill would have solved the problem at hand. It wasn't controversial. It wasn't political. It solved the problem. It should have just sailed through. But instead, Democrats were like, no thanks. We don't actually you know, care about the children. We, we want what we want when we want it. We've got the iwi-wiwis. That's a, that's a fun disease to talk with your kids about. I want what I want when I want it. The acronym is iwi-wiwi. Uh, they've got the iwi-wiwis and they're like, mm, nope, not good enough. Not good enough if you're just going to help those kids. That's exactly what everyone wanted. But Democrats said no. And so that is why we have Trump coming out with this executive order, even though he had previously stated that we need legislation. Well, we had legislation. Democrats said no. And he said, well, we got to do something. So he signed an executive order, which essentially is uh, Ted Cruz's legislation. It's a little bit different, but it basically does the same things. So we have that executive order in place right now, which is a stopgap while Congress puts something together. Paul Ryan is saying that they've got something more comprehensive that's going to deal with with dreamers, with uh, with this issue of border separation and something, something, something is coming supposedly, from Congress. We don't know what it is. We don't know exactly when we will get it. But apparently, we're getting something. So now you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. And that's all the time I have left for today. I hope you'll join us tonight for our missions conference as we continue 7 p.m. Our address 6501 West Lake Mead Boulevard. If you cannot be here in person, you can stream us online. Sorry, my brain just like stopped there. Uh, our website is experienceliberty.com. And be sure to join us Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for our international brunch. It's going to be a great time. We're going to end today with the Ball Brothers, and I'll do anything. Thanks for being with us. <laughs> <laughs>